From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the big event in our Shea Serrano episode. It's pretty much impossible to describe the Texas-based journalist, author, and podcaster, or any of his projects in a single sentence. He wrote for Grantland, writes and records podcasts for the Ringer Network, and is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. But it all feels like it's in orbit around his books, the Rapier book, Basketball and Other Things, and his newest release, Movies and Other Things. In his latest book, he spends an entire chapter discussing whether the Shawshank Redemption character, Andy Dufresne's time in prison was worth it or not. Another chapter constructs a three-part fictional draft of gangster movie moments. In terms of writing what he wants to write, Shea Serrano's living the dream. But there was a very interesting journey to get to that point. He started making $15 a story in a neighborhood newsletter. He was a high school teacher and the life lessons he learned make their way into his storytelling. Here's Shea Serrano talking about his editors at the alt-weekly Houston Press and how one of his failures became an important lesson. I freelanced for them for for a legit four years, and they were just every week teaching me something new. I remember one time I pitched a cover story about like a a rock and roll. I found out that there was a middle school, like an honors middle school, and they had a rock and roll class that was like semi-controversial. Yeah. And so I went and I pitched it and I got the cover and I interviewed everybody and went and watched them. They like performed in, in bars, which was like, oh my God, they're seventh graders. You can't let this happen. But when I interviewed everybody, uh, everybody was super like nice about it and polite about it, and they were like, "No, we're you know we're encouraging of the kids doing this." And I went to I, I wrote my thing. It was thirty five hundred words, turned it into Margaret, and then I got an email a couple of days later, and she's like, "Come in, we need to go over the story." And I said, "All right, cool." And I got there, and she was sitting at her desk, just newspapers stacked up everywhere. You know what this looks like, and she turned the screen around uh, at me, and I could see my story on there. And she's like, scrolling down, and it was. Half of it was highlighted in yellow. And she was like, you see all of the yellow? I'm deleting all of this. Oh, wow. And it's not the cover anymore. And she explained to me that there, that we can't run a story like that if there's no conflict. You need some sort of conflict for a wow. cover story. Um, but she was just whip smart, just exactly the kind of person you need when you first start out writing her in between her and Chris. Shea Serrano was on his first ever trip to San Francisco, 45 minutes into the journey when he came to the Chronicle. We talked about his favorite San Francisco movies, his origin story as a writer, his scholarship for Latino college students, and we finished with stories about our Mexican grandmothers. His was very beautiful, a great way to end the conversation. One more thing, there are a few profanities in this episode. If you're listening to this during the elementary school carpool, you've been warned. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to San Francisco, and welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle, Shea Serrano. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really happy you're here. I I follow you on social media. I listen to you on the Ringer podcast, and I've read all your books. And this is your first time in San Francisco. I've been been checking this out on social media. That is correct. Yeah. So how long have you been here? I've been here for 45 minutes. It's a beautiful city. (laughs) Beautiful city. (laughs) I'm guessing you haven't come to any conclusions yet on San Francisco. No. I mean... uh, all I did was ride from the airport to the hotel, but we went 
across the bay, apparently. I saw some hills. I saw a, a couple of bridges. Yeah. We don't have those in San Antonio. We have okay. a, a much smaller version of everything. So <laughs> to, so far, it's been pretty. It's been very, it's a very attractive city. Yeah. You come in SFO or it sounds like Oakland if you saw a couple bridges. I have no idea. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where I go on any of this stuff. I just get on the plane. I open my phone. They'll say there's an itinerary. Yeah. And I click the thing and it says go here at this time. And I just <laughs> go there at that time and get on whatever they tell me to get on. This will be airing by the time you're long gone. So can you tell me what you're going to do here? You can get some time to kind of check out San Francisco while you're here. You know what? I, I have a cousin, a younger cousin who lives here. He works in advertising. A super smart kid named Taj. And I text Taj on my way in. Hey, pick me up and take me to get some food somewhere. I don't know. Take me to get some crabs. We're by the ocean. Yeah, I, yeah. I assume you have good crab legs. Yeah. And so he's going to take me somewhere where they have crab legs. All wherever right. that is. I don't know where the crab leg restaurant is, but that's where we're going. You, you got a lot of options. I can't even tell you exactly where. But um, excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad you have like kind of a concierge while you're here. Someone <laughs> to take care of you. Um, new book, Movies and Other Things. Mm-hmm. I've read all your books. Um, it's like 750 pages of stuff you've read. That's not Yeah, that's that's well, there's a lot of illustrations too. True. Arturo uh, Torres. Um, I wanted to get to the beginning though because uh, I, I know that um, you started I think with a newsletter and maybe even before that uh, in the San Antonio Houston area with the alt press. Yeah, when I if you're talking about like how I officially got started writing, this was this was late 2007, maybe early 2008, somewhere around there. Uh, my wife and I were both teachers at the time. She had gotten pregnant with twins. We had some complications that came up with a pregnancy, and she wasn't able to work anymore. And I was just trying to find extra money to pay for the bills. You know, when you're a teacher, your teacher check every two weeks. Mine was like a thousand bucks, maybe eleven hundred bucks, something like that which is not enough to, to raise a family of four in like a major city like Houston. So I was just trying to find extra money and uh, I was applying at different restaurants or grocery stores. And each time I would do an interview, they would say, we can't hire you because you already have a full-time job. You can't work when we need you to work. And uh, so I'm just Googling work from home jobs. What can I do? And writer was a thing I saw on a list on the internet somewhere. And I was like, I, I can, I have the internet. And you can computer. swear, by the way, we'll, we'll okay. put a warning there. All right. So all right. I, I saw one coming, about I, to come I out. I stopped it. I stopped <laughs> it. I wasn't certain. We're it's sitting in the, in the archives of the San Francisco Chronicle. I didn't want to, <laughs> you know, be foul something. There's a lot of swearing down here. <clears throat> okay. J- Jello Biafra, I think has the record. There were like <laughs> 600 profanities. Uh, I'm sorry. I cut you off. So, so that's what, uh, that's what it was. I just started, you know, emailing, uh, different newspapers or, or, or neighborhood newsletters. And uh, eventually there was a, a one neighborhood newsletter called the Near Northwest Banner in Houston, now defunct, of course. Mm. Um, but it was this, uh, it was like an old man and an old woman, and they were sort of printing it up in their garage and just handing it out in the neighborhood, like a l- literal neighborhood newsletter. And they were they paid me $15 to write about, I think the Texans was the first thing I wrote. I'm surprised they paid you that much. I mean, I would think if I Googled like side hustles and ways to make money, mm-hmm. writing seems like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like the most lucrative choice. It, yeah, and all the stuff I read said that, but I was not, I was in a position where I already had a full-time job. So all I was trying to do was just like make 200 extra dollars a month. Not yeah. a lot, I don't need a lot. Yeah. I just need to get us to when Laramie can go back to work. Yeah. And so if I could do a $15 article here, $20 article there, whatever, if I could do 10 of those, we're, we're, we're good to go. And uh, so I, I did that. I wrote one or two for them. 
And then I took those and I started applying to other places. I'm like, oh, the Houston Press, which like are all weekly there. I hit them up and I'm like, hey, look, I'm a writer for real. Check this out. I've got clips. And then eventually, uh, you know, bothering them enough, they let me on. And, and that was really where I learned how to like be an actual writer because they had a real building with a real staff and real editors. And uh, there was a music editor named Chris Gray and the editor-in-chief, her name was Margaret Downing. And between the two of them, just super smart and just... Margaret didn't take any shit from anybody. Uh, and, and I say that in a way where, like, I mean, there was no tricking your way through an article with her. Like, yeah. a lot of times, if I'm feeling a little bit lazy, I might try to, like, write my way around something without digging out the information I needed. And she could always sniff that out. And she'd be like, I, this is not working for me. Do that. Redo that. Like, she was teaching me how to do that stuff. Chris was teaching me how to, like, actually report a story. Here's how you interview people. Here's how you get court documents. Here's how, mm-hmm. you know, this sort of thing. And, and again, I'm just working freelance for them, um, but they were just, they were like newspaper people and it was important to them that the people who worked for them knew how to do these things. That's awesome that you got mentorship because that doesn't <clears throat> happen a lot. I, and, and I, again, I go into this totally blind and I just assume everybody gets that when you show up. And mm-hmm. I found out later on, you don't. And I worked with them, I freelanced for them for, for a legit four years and they yeah. were just, every week teaching me something new. I remember one time I pitched a cover story about like a, a rock and roll. I found out that there was a middle school, like a, an honors middle school, and they had a rock and roll class that was like semi-controversial. Yeah, yeah. And so I went and I pitched it and I got the cover and I interviewed everybody and went and watched them. Perf- they like performed in, in bars, which was like, oh my God, they're seventh graders. You can't let this happen. But when I interviewed everybody, uh, everybody was super like nice about it and polite about it, and they were like, "No, we're you know we're encouraging of the kids doing this." And I went to I, I wrote my thing. It was thirty five hundred words, turned it into Margaret, and then I got an email like, a couple of days later, and she's like, "Come in, we need to go over the story." And I said, "All right, cool." And I got there, and she's sitting at her desk, just newspapers stacked up everywhere. You know what this looks like, and she turned the screen around uh, at me, and I could see my story on there. And she's scrolling down, and it was. Half of it was highlighted in yellow. And she was like, you see all of the yellow? I'm deleting all of this. Oh, wow. And it's not the cover anymore. And she explained to me that there, that we can't run a story like that if there's no conflict. You need some sort of conflict for a wow. cover story. Uh, but she was just whip smart, just exactly the kind of person you need when you first start out writing. In between her and Chris, they just sort of taught me the stuff I needed to know. And then I went from there and started pitching other places, you know, LA Weekly, Village Voice. MTV, ESPN, rolling anybody whose address I could find on the internet, I just started pitching everybody, and it, you know, eventually it all came together when when uh, I came onto Bill Simmons' radar. Yeah, and Bill Simmons at the time was working at uh, he had like a uh, like a vertical at is ESPN. Is this before or after uh, your your rap book came out? This was before. Handbook. This is before the rap yeah. handbook. Yeah. Yeah. So so this was you know 2013 ish somewhere around there, and I wrote a thing for LA Weekly. This woman named Molly Lambert saw it. She's like a really brilliant writer. And she passed it along to the editors at Grantland. And they were like, you know, they hit me up and said, do you want to pitch us some stuff? And I started writing for them. And And Grantland, just to let people know, I mean, people should know, but it's the ESPN site that Mm -hmm. Bill Simmons was kind of at Mm -hmm. the the, uh, epicenter of. Lasted four or five years? I think it lasted right around four years, five years. And then The Ringer, where people can hear your podcast now and read your writing, um, that's sort of the... uh, the follow that. Yeah. yeah. And so when, when Bill showed up, Bill was like, I, I want you to be a writer. I just want, I was still teaching at the time. And he's like, what do we have to do to get you writing full time? 
I'm like, well, I need, you know. How'd that feel? I mean, Bill, Bill Simmons is a huge name by then. And Bill Simmons is, is at that point and still today, like the the most influential person in that space. Yeah. He's just, when Bill puts his finger on your forehead, <laughs> you become anointed and like, I wasn't doing anything different the day after they offered me the job than I was the day before, but suddenly everything just became uh, more valuable. Everything yeah. had more weight behind it. So you have this guy in your ear telling you he wants you to do this thing, telling you you don't have to worry about anything else. We're never gonna bother you about page views. We're never gonna bother you about anything. We just want you to write stuff that you wanna write. And That's the like, dream. I mean, right, yeah. exactly. Like yeah. I, I had a conversation afterward with this guy named Evan and we were talking about uh, writing careers and this and that, and he was explaining to me. I didn't understand at the time, I understood it later, uh, but he was like, Bill Simmons showed up and he just basically, he gave you your golden parachute. Yeah. Like everything is on fire around you and here he comes just rescuing you. And I didn't understand it then, because I had never, I still have never worked in a newspaper building before. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I don't, I've never worked at a magazine, uh, but Bill shows up and he does that. and. Everything is everything is different after then. I, I think of like writing, I mean, through my career, I always have a percentage in my head and the percentage is how much stuff that I'm writing that they're making me write and how much stuff that I'm writing that I'm pitching and, and that I really want to do and I'm passionate right. about. And and uh, sometimes that's like 15 or 30%. Right now I'm really lucky, it's like 90%, you know, but it sounds like you hit 100. But I think it was important too, you mentioned all that, yellow highlighting, I think it's important to have that experience too, so that you kind of have the gratitude for it when you get to do stuff like these awesome books I've got on the table. Yeah, it, do, it does help um, a lot. I wrote for the Houston Press, I wrote a nightlife column where I would just go to different bars and interview people and try to dig up whatever interesting stories I could. I did that for three or four years and mm. I hate bars. I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't hang out at bars. It's just not an appealing thing to me, but I, that was just part of the job and I did it because they paid me 190 bucks a week to write that article. Um, so yeah, you, you sort of come up in that space like doing the stuff that you have to do so you can get to the spot where you can do the stuff you want to do and that's what Bill let me do, Bill and Sean and Juliet and all them. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'm assuming these books are what you wanted to do because generally, and you've done very well, but pitching the rap yearbook, I'm, I'm betting it wasn't from the beginning a super lucrative proposition. Oh, no, it wasn't at all. The, uh, so the way that the book stuff happened is, again, all of this stuff is just, I'm just sort of accidenting my way into it, <laughs> yeah. really. This is like not stuff I was trying to chase down. I, I had no you know, uh, intentions or, or ambitions, aspirations of, of writing any books. I was, I was happy to be making my $900 a month freelancing for different places. And, and here we go. And then one day I got a, I was at work teaching and I got a phone call, voicemail from Bun B, a rapper named Bun B who's one half of UGK, which is- Yeah, Houston. Okay, yeah. yeah. You know, they're, they're one of the two most influential Southern rap groups of all time, is them and Outkast, yeah. right? And I loved UGK, I still do. And I get this voicemail, because I had met Bun a couple of times just covering local Houston rap. And he was like, hey, uh, I wanna do a book. I think you're the person to do the book with. Don't call me back tonight. Talk to your wife about it, mm -hmm. and then let me know. It was like the coolest thing that ever happened to me. A person whose work I admired for so long is like, hey, let's do a thing together. And uh, and that's how the book stuff started. Him and I, we, we were like trying to come up with the silliest idea possible because he has this very tough guy image, and he was trying to play off of that. Mm -hmm. And I pitched him a, a coloring book, 
And he was like, yeah, let's do it. That's great. And he just sort of held my hand through it. He was connecting me to all of the people I needed to talk to, all the different rappers, because uh, you have to like get permission to put somebody's face in the thing. And I'm like, I don't know how to reach, I don't know, Drake. And he's yeah. like, oh, I have Drake here. Here's Drake's <laughs> number, and let me text him real quick. And so we did that that book. That's how I met Samantha Weiner, who is my editor at Abrams, uh-huh. Abrams Publishing. And the rap yearbook was her idea. The, the coloring book, it didn't sell a ton of copies. Uh, I think they paid me like $10,000 to write this, uh, to, to draw this stuff. Um, and it sold maybe 900 copies the first week, something like that. And then, you know, it sells still today like 20 copies a week. It wasn't like a big thing, but it was enough that they said, oh, we're, we're going to make our money back on this. Do you want to do another coloring book? I didn't want to be the fucking coloring book guy. <laughs> so I was like, no, thank you. Samantha said, hey, I've got this idea for this other book. called the, I'm, a, I'm thinking of calling it The Rap Yearbook. Every chapter is going to be about what the most important song was from a year. Uh-huh. We'll start in 1979 and go forward to 2014, that's 35 years. And I was like, that sounds like an awful idea. So I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> do that. It's a great idea. I don't do that at all. Yeah, it was. Again, these are just people smarter yeah. than, than I am. And uh, Laramie and I, we were at this point, we've got two kids coming up on three kids. And uh, we, we needed a bigger place to live. And I was like, oh, well, I know how to, I can get some money. And I called Samantha back. And I was like, Samantha, actually, I thought about it. It's a pretty good idea that you had. <laughs> Let's do that book. And so with this one, again, we had not sold a ton of books. They gave me 25000 bucks to write it. Yeah. Minus agent fees, which is oh, yeah. 2200 You don't make money writing books unless you're yeah. like in a real small percentile. Yeah. And then I had to pay the illustrator as well. And... The, we, we work on the book. It takes, you know, 18 months, two years, something like that. We're expecting for it to not do anything at all. We're expecting for it to do what the coloring book did. This is like a very small, what we think, market, just like sort of nerdy rap things mm-hmm. with silly pictures that Arturo drew. And it it caught fire, like, for yeah. a little bit. And and uh, we, we were anticipating we were going to sell 15,000 copies over, like, two years. And I think we did 15,000 copies in, like, two weeks and the publisher was really excited and it made the bestseller list. And this is all happening right around the same time that Grantland, where I was working at the time, I quit teaching by then, is closing. Yeah. So it's like one good thing, one bad thing. Uh, but the book makes the list and we're all really excited about it. And then ever since then, you know, the, the, the options have, have opened up a bit. Well, I, I'm going to jump ahead. Uh, basketball and other things. I will say that um, my son hit this point about a year ago where mm-hmm. he wasn't wanting to read anything. My yeah. wife's an English teacher and now now the school librarian at his high school, he's a freshman. And he hit this point where he was like, I don't like reading anymore. My wife, like <laughs> something died inside yeah. her. Yeah. And I have a couple of little like books that I'm sitting out there and, and I, I gave him basketball and other things. And uh, he loved it. Um, and it jump started something in him. Now he's hitting me with like every basketball trivia and you know oh, that's making lists. And, incredible. And I think he's uh, he's questioned a couple of your lists. I think you had Steph, always do. Steph Curry number seven at point guards, but that was a few years ago. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you a break. Okay. Uh, but I do want to jump ahead to movies and other things. Um, and uh, uh, tell me, I mean, you know, was that's, did, did you have all this kind of lined up? I mean, were you thinking uh, basketball? I'll do movies next, or did it come to you from somewhere else? Uh, again, we accidented our way into it. The rap yearbook came out October of 2015. Grantland closed in October of 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't teaching anymore. I had signed a contract to work at Grantland for a year. 
so suddenly I was looking at not having a job. Fortunately, ESPN uh, honored the contract. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, we're closing this place down. And if you want, you can leave and go work somewhere else. Or you have eight months on your contract. You can just hang out and collect a check. And I was like, I think I'll do I'll do that version. That sounds nice. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Do, I'll do eight <laughs> months of, of just getting a check every two weeks. Yeah. And during that time, uh, I couldn't write for other places. Uh, otherwise, they would cancel the contract. So Arturo and I were like, you know, a couple months in, we were both we were both pretty bored. I was bored anyway. He was still drawn for wherever. And I hit him up and I said, hey, do you want to do um, a newsletter? This is 2015-ish, or early 2016. I was like, hey, do you want to do a, a newsletter? I just feel like I need to be writing. And like, I, if I do it, I want to have some art in there. And he's like, all right, cool, we'll do that. And we did it just like, for me, as a way to stay sharp, I felt mm-hmm. like, um, and to and to like have a thing to do during the day. And so we were doing it, it was once a week, it would come on every Tuesday at 9 a.m. And we were anticipating it, again, to just sort of, whatever it's like a goofy little newsletter about basketball and other things that was the title of it um so we could write about whatever we wanted he could draw whatever he wanted and we put it up i posted it on twitter and we thought uh we thought it would do you know just sort of live self-contained and about a couple of weeks in we had thirty thousand subscribers like nice. it, it was doing really well yeah and uh and samantha to her credit again she's like are we going to do another book? What's going on? The, the other one did well. And I was like, hey, can, can I can I do a book called Basketball and Other Things? We talked like I talked our way through it. And she let us do that. And that's how we got to Basketball and Other Things. And we didn't plan for like to do movies and other things. Or, or, or we can do, you can just plug in any word you want now. <laughs> do television and other things, rap and other things, whatever. Um, what were some of the other uh, uh, rejected? <laughs> television and other things was uh, was one of the first ones we went to. Rap, um, we did. We of course ended up doing movies. Uh, it was like more specific, like action movies first. Yeah, uh, we hit like everything you want to plug in there: basketball, baseball, and other things, football, and other things. Whatever you can. That's how the thing works, and uh, but we didn't like anticipate that we were actually going to do it yeah. you always you always assume that you're gonna write a book and nobody's gonna pay any attention to it and the rap year book i think the first week it did like 8500 copies which was enough to make it on the list and the basketball book came and then the basketball book did even more it did, i can't remember exact numbers but somewhere like 25 to thirty-two thousand copies something yeah. like that depending and that was enough to get it to number one on the bestseller list and then shit was really moving quick and uh, so of course they let us do another one and then Fortunately, movies was number one on the bestseller list as well, and you know here we are, yeah, in the basement of the Chronicle, hanging out <laughs> with <of> the Chronicle. <laughs> <laughs> so movies and other things. I'm gonna, I, I'm not going to try to describe the book. I think it's easier if I just read the titles of a few of my favorite chapters. Okay, uh, gangster movie moments, fictional draft. Who's the perfect heist movie crew? Um, this is my favorite. I've read it twice. All right. Which had the more intense opening, Face Off or Finding Nemo? Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie kills Hall of Fame. Uh, it sounds really ridiculous when someone reads it back to me. I just I read it and I think like, is there anything that you say? No, that's too crazy. I'm not going to write that. There was uh, a there was a lot of stuff that we got that got canceled out of there. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. A, a, a bunch of like goofy, silly things. Uh, m- most of the time, what happens is with the book, the way it's set up, every chapter is supposed to be a, a question we're trying to answer. Mm-hmm. That's all that it is. And this is just really an excuse to sort of nerd out on things that you that I like. 
the, the, the movie book, similar to the basketball book, this isn't like a history of basketball or a history of no. movies. This is just, I'm just talking about over, over 256 pages. I'm just talking about some movies that I like. And if you like those same movies, cool. And if you don't, hopefully you'll read it and sort of see a little bit of yourself in there some sort of way. And uh, so usually whenever something would get X'd out of there, it would be because an idea sounded good or funny in it. Like, oh, this would be a good chapter. And then you start working on it and you realize, oh, this was just a joke. Or, yeah. oh, this, was, this would be a good tweet. Not it's like the Saturday chapter. Night Live skit that they turn into a movie, but it exactly. still feels like a Saturday Night Live that skit. Seems, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and very rarely... Does it work when you try to like force your way into it? So I, like, I'll give you an example. There was one, uh, one of the early chapters that we had that I thought was like really going to be fun was uh, about Jason Statham mm-hmm. and the chapter title. This is the first one that we worked on. It was called which, uh, I, something like which Jason Statham movie <laughs> was the most Statham-y or something yeah. like that. And it to me made sense in my head because Jason Statham movies have a very like, there's a formula there. There's an ethos sure. there. And this would be fun to write. And then I started working on it. I'm like, this is this is kind of lame and dumb. This would be a good, like, an aside in there, but not a whole chapter. Another one, uh, when I was researching all this stuff, I realized that there are a bunch of movies in there where something terrible happens to a woman that Brad Pitt is in love with uh-huh. um, in, in one of his movies. Like in Seven is the, well, like... Seven's the, yeah. She gets her head cut Spoiler, off. Spoiler, yeah. <laughs> and, and mailed in a box after she's pregnant. Yeah. Thelma and Louise. Thelma oh, and Louise yeah. die. Um, allied with Angelina Jolie. She she dies. I hadn't heard of, thought about um, that. Yeah. A river runs through it. He has two two women in there, and they both have horrible things happen to him. Like, it, there was, it, this was a pattern. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this would be like a good a good chapter. Which of Brad Pitt's movie wives had the worst luck? And then you start working on it, and you're like, nope, it was just a good tweet. It wasn't a good chapter. and we, That's usually what happened That's when what stuff happens. got deleted, yeah. But then you can do like six or seven pages on, did the Rockford Peaches make the right decision trading kit? Yeah, which yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. drilling deep. That, that, that is, that's one of my favorite things is to like pick one, just one small, very specific moment of a thing and just talk about that for a long time. Yeah. In, in this case, yeah, 3,000 words or whatever about the trade that the racing peaches made because a, a common question that people ask about that movie this is we're talking about a league of their own yeah of yeah. course which is one of the two or three best baseball movies of all time okay and i don't like the, i don't like the way you said okay right there you don't have it in your top three it's got to be oh, top three no i don't know i love major league okay uh, i love bull durham okay yeah right the third one's not coming right to me i like it i like uh, league of their own better than the natural mm-hmm I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. You've got two of the three, right? Okay, all right. A major League, yes. All right. A League of Their Own, yes, and The Sandlot. Oh, The between, Sandlot. Between those oh, three movies, right. you all hit right. on all of the things that like make baseball movies wonderful. All right. Baseball, baseball is like, uh, of the three sports, basketball, baseball, football, it's my least favorite. Yeah. But it's my favorite type of sports movie because it just, it's built for sports movies because you have these moments of stillness in the game just sort of naturally uh-huh. basketball just continuous movement it's hard to like it's hard to to have the moment when the shortstop runs over to the pitcher and he's like strike this motherfucker like you don't, <laughs> you don't get that moment in a basketball movie it doesn't work um like that but yeah we we uh i really like a league of their own it's one of my favorite baseball i mean sports movies of all time and i wanted to talk about it and a, co- a common question that happens in that one is like did 
did Dottie drop the ball on purpose when Kit oh, crashes yeah, into yeah, her at, yeah. the, at the very end? Like, that's a thing people ask all the time. So I was like, well, we can't do that one. But a thing I have wondered about all the time is, like, they do trade. They do make this trade. Was it a good trade? And we're just going to talk about that. And it will allow you to get into a lot of other stuff. But if you have, like, one specific goal you're trying to get to at the end, and this is a thing that Margaret and Chris taught me, every article that you write should arrive at a point. Mm -hmm. And every sentence that you write should help you get to that point. That just makes for a more fulfilling reading experience. Uh, I'm going to do, that's why we do the whole book like that. Here's the question that I'm asking, Mm -hmm. and here's the answer at the end. You're going to get it. Also, the the vibe of each chapter, Uh it feels like a good hang. Like, I, I felt like there were times when I was reading it, and I feel this way with a good podcast, too, when I'm reading it. And I feel like I, I'm talking to you, and then I like start to blurt something out, and I'm like, oh no, wait, Shay's not in the room with me. <laughs> um, what's kind of your, your, how do you get it down? I mean, do you start thinking about this, and you're with a friend in a bar, and you just start recording, or, or is it is it pretty much like any other article that you're doing, or any other thing that you're doing? Because uh, it seems very conversational, and it seems yeah. like it's going in a lot of different directions, which which reminds me of a good conversation. Yeah, that that's the like most common nice thing that people will say about my writing, which I, I, I really appreciate, uh, because it is intentional. This is not a thing that happens uh, by accident. Usually whenever I'm writing something, in that case in particular, uh, I'm, I'm, I sit down, I come up with a general idea for the thing, I start researching, putting my notes together for the thing, and then I will take all of that information and I will have a conversation with somebody, like in real life, a real life thing. I'll call mm-hmm. up Laramie, my wife, mm-hmm. can you talk to me for a few minutes about this thing, I need to run some stuff by you, and then I'll just sort of dump all of the information on her, and she'll say some stuff back to me that I had not thought of, which is how good conversations work. And then I'll say some stuff back to her and she'll say some stuff back to me and I'll be like, oh, okay, cool. And then I'll just take all of that and then write that. That's what I do. Um, I I have a cousin who I work with all the time, this guy named Gary, who he worked with me a lot on the movie book, matter of fact. Um, We'll do the same thing, Gary, like, Gary, go rewatch all the Jurassic World and Jurassic Park (laughs) movies and then we're gonna go to lunch tomorrow and I'm gonna download some information onto you. And then we would do that, and then I would just take that conversation and turn it into the piece. And that's why, hopefully, when you're reading it, it does feel like you and I are talking back and forth because that's effectively what's happening. That's how we arrived at the stuff in the book. Nice. Yeah. Well, I I got a few more things and and very little time, so um, I'm going to jump around a little bit. So I apologize. Let's do it. Let's do it. I apologize for the bad segues. Um, (laughs) First of all, I'm sure people do this all the time to you, but then they have their subject that they want you to talk about or do rank something or whatever. Yeah. So I got to ask you, San Francisco movies. Okay. Um, There's no chapter in here for San Francisco movies, (laughs) but if you were to write one, do you have a couple of favorites? Oh, of course. Yeah. There have been so many movies set here. Um, Of course, when when you and I first met, you're like, do you you big Zodiac fan? Yeah. Zodiac is somewhere up on this. Zodiac is one of those movies that for me is like really well made, really well written and directed. Fincher is incredible. But it's not a movie that I want to like revisit a lot. No. It's not a fun movie to and watch. And the last third kind of tapers off just because of the story. A, a sleeper pick. You know what I would settle on if we were just like, hey, let's go watch a San Francisco movie right now. The yeah. first one I would go to is 40 Days and 40 Nights. Do you really? remember that? Do you remember I do that movie? remember it. That's not a, that's I had not a, one usually pick. I, I had a big, I had like a big Josh Hartnett phase. Like okay. when, when I was 
when I was, uh, we're about the same age, him and I are, yeah, I, yeah. I assume. We're within a few years of, of each other. But he was always like, he was like the young, cool Hollywood star. Oh, yeah. That when I was in high school is when the faculty came out and he plays Zeke, I, oh, I believe sure. is his character. And they're just like a cool, ha- messy hair, squinty face. That's in your book. Squinty face. Your, your yearbook. You have a yearbook with all these. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. in there. Yeah. I, I, I love I love Josh Hartnett. Uh, and and Shannon Sossaman is also just like oh yeah obviously this woman is a is a star okay um, yeah. give me give me forty days and forty nights we're gonna watch any movie right now also the Planet of the Apes series I just Excellent. it's just fun yeah. it's just fun good watching that in the movie theater and I'm talking about the first one now that they you go I don't know how long the movie is two hours and you go. 90% of the way through it before Caesar talks the first time he oh, talks yeah. when the guy's hitting him with a stick and he just screams no at him and I remember that happening in the theater and just being like suddenly overwhelmed with fear that this was a real thing that I was watching and this ape just talked he just said a, re- <laughs> a real ape said a real world a real word and this is fucking bad news for all of us yeah and so give me give me that one and then you know what let's top it off with uh, if we're doing like top four Give me San Andreas. Love it, right? You, Love you, it. Like, like, you let me get the rock in there. You, you somewhere. mentioned earlier parachuting into a you know ring of fire, and that's San Andreas, which yeah. is like it's like three movies too. You get you mm-hmm. think like, oh, I got the earthquake movie. No, you still got like a tidal wave movie <laughs> coming up. <laughs> Love San Andreas. We did a movie destruction map where basically you know there's a lot of special effects people around here to help out and stuff, and we mapped out all of the destruction on, um, you know, say when the uh, Star Trek Into Darkness and the Enterprise crashes, we yeah. mapped out which blocks were destroyed. Oh, that's cool. And we did it with like eight films so that you can type in your address and find out how vulnerable you are I like love in that. a monster I movie. I love that. Well, San Andreas was the most fun because it was like three movies in one. We had mm-hmm. to separate it. I mean, you had the fires, you had the earthquake, you had the tidal wave. So That's a good book chapter right there how vulnerable are you in a movie attack or movie monster attack and i love i love i love that and this is part of the reason that i think that if somebody responds to the movie book or the basketball book that's why because anybody can write exactly this book because you're just talking about stuff that you like and are are nerding out about that's a really good one nice nice well i I wanted to shout you out to the shea serrano scholarship it's twenty thousand dollars for four scholarships with the san antonio association for hispanic journalists yeah um and that's been a pretty steady part of what you do is Mm -hmm. there's often a charitable element to it um you know you're doing real well but uh, i'm I'm, you brimming over with so much money I, I suspect that this doesn't you know isn't something that that you feel and yet you've been giving a lot as you've been getting bigger and bigger uh yeah that's a i mean laramie and i when we first started out didn't have any money um when i grew up i grew up on the poor side of san antonio and like everybody's on welfare some sort of government assistance section eight housing uh, our house got foreclosed on like this sort of like this is the shit with that you grow up in so if you come from something like that you don't need you don't need a lot um that's i would like to have a lot of course absolutely but if you're giving me enough to pay the bills and to like set my kids up proper um and then we have extra left over like i mean let's help out where we can help out the way that that scholarship happened is that i had it was like a again we accidented our way into it i had met 
the people from the San Antonio Association of Hispanic Journalists, they asked me to do like a give a talk mm-hmm. to their to their members. When we first moved to San Antonio, we moved there um, 2017 or 18, something like that, 18. And uh, I met the I met them just over email, and they're asking about it. And we finally worked out the, the details. And I went and gave this talk, and I met with them, and they were just super energetic. And and it was clear to me that they were they were just trying to do a bunch of good stuff, as much good stuff as they could. And while we were uh, arranging the details of the talk, I said, Hey, usually when I do this stuff, like there's a there's a speaker's fee. I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna need like twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> and uh, and they're like, oh well, we we don't like we're just a small organization. We can't do that. And I said, oh, you know, usually if I go like go do a talk or something, the the the, the hosting body will get a sponsor and the sponsor will pay for it, and you can do it like that. And they're like, well, I don't know, uh, we'll try. And they couldn't couldn't quite figure it out. And I was like, all right, well, I mean. I'm in town, I've got this break and I don't have to travel and I'm just gonna go do an hour. So like, we'll, we'll just call this one like free, but y'all can't charge any money for the tickets. Yeah, uh, I don't wanna do that. And she said, well, the reason we charge money for tickets is because we, we like it goes into our scholarship fund. And then that's how it all started. And I was like, oh shit, okay, well how about y'all don't charge any money for the tickets. I'll figure out a way to get money for scholarships and, uh, and we'll do it like that. And it, it all just sort of, came together. I was able to find some, you know, $20,000. I was able to find somebody to give it to me yeah. for another thing that I had done. And then we just took that check and I endorsed it over to them. And I'm like, here you go. Um, I, I would like for this to just go to, I don't care what school you're at. I don't care like what your grades are. I, I was never like a good student. I barely got out of any, out of high school, out of college. Like I was in the remedial classes, this sort of bullshit. Yeah. Um, so I don't care about GPA. I don't care about the, is, is this Stanford or community college? I don't care about what grade you're, you're in. It's just as long as you're like Latino or Latina and you want to work in journalism or publishing because in those fields, it's just like 3% of the people are that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's all I care about. And y'all handle the rest. And they were like, all right, cool. I cut them a check. I met, we met <laughs> in the parking lot. This is how like this is how backwards everything is for me. This should be like a, a big thing and there should be like a ceremony that they, they want to do. And like, yeah. We have a, a come on in, Yoshi. Come a, on in. You can shoot photos if you want. Hey, what's we're, up? We're, we're wrapping How up. How are you, Yoshi? Hi. Shay, Shay, Yoshi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We're recording, but you can shoot while we're recording. Yeah, yeah, And if, yeah. And if no it problem. clicks and stuff, our listeners will they'll be chill about that. We're like okay. thirty minutes in; they're either in or out at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Nice to meet you. Nice Sorry, to meet you. you can pick it up again. So yeah. what I, what I'm saying is, uh, this was. I mean, in in most cases, this is like a thing. You show up at the place, and they give you like, here's a plaque we made for you. Or whatever we had just done a thing like the week before where we donated twenty five thousand dollars to the Martinez Street Women's Center in San Antonio. Uh-huh. Um, we did like a fundraiser online. It was like a thing, whatever. But with the scholarship, uh, I, I was texting with with Krista, who's in charge of all that stuff, and I was just in town for like a day or two, and she's running around and I'm running around, and I'm like, hey, there's an HEB, which is like a local San Antonio grocery store. Uh-huh. There's an HEB by my house. Just meet me in the parking lot <laughs> of that. And I pulled up, I parked my car, she's standing out there with her boyfriend and her husband, I don't remember. And I run over and I'm like, here's, a, here's, here's your check. And she's like, all right, cool, we're gonna go grocery shopping for some other stuff anyway, so here we are. But it just, it just all the pieces fit together in, in the right way and it just seemed like a good, a good time to do a good thing. I saw that you uh, wanted to name it after <clears throat> your grandmother who you said was a top level boss and then your mother 
told you not to. Mexican grandmother. <laughs> I, ha- I have a Mexican grandmother. My okay. mother's Mexican. And uh, she was a bad level boss, too. Yeah. So I th- was hoping we could just end and each share a bad level boss Mexican grandmother Top story. level boss. Top level bad. boss. Yeah, 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 Sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm reading. Without, <laughs> I, I took my reading glasses off when the photographer came in because I'm banging. Oh, you got to leave them on. I left right, mine on. You got to right, leave I'm yours on. on. All right. Look at that. Oh, top level boss. You're right. Um, <laughs> so uh, your grandmother. My grandmother, Marie Gonzalez, <laughs> the, the, pa- the, the matriarch, the like patron saint of kicking ass. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My grandmother was like a very important person for me growing up uh, when, I, when we were in the when I was in the sixth grade, going from fifth to sixth grade. My parents were like, hey. By the way, you don't live here anymore. You live with your grandma now. You're uh-huh. gonna, we're gonna move you to in with her on the other side of town. I was like wilding out a little bit, and we're like, I've got younger sisters, <clears throat> and so we're just like, you need some space. You need to like be on your own with your grandma, which is a thing apparently that Mexicans do. And so <laughs> it was just me and her when I got when we were like doing middle school, which is like a very important time of your life. And and she was really very much just like you're in charge of you for most of this because she was working at corner store at the time like yeah. a a gas station so she when i get up for school at 6 30 she's been at work for two and a half three hours already right so i'm like waking myself up and like making myself breakfast and then getting on the bus and coming home from school and and, and doing this whole thing but yeah we had those years where it was just the two of us and we became very close and then that continued through uh, through in high school well, my whole family moved in with her and uh, and then when I left for college, I'd come back, and that's a, you know, by the time we got out of college is when she got sick and ended up passing yeah. away. Um, but we had that time together where it was, like, just me and her, and we were very much just, like, I love you a great deal. And she's like, yeah, shut up. Like, this, sort of, <laughs> like, this is our, our sort of sort of relationship. So when I think back to, like, any of the, any of the like, memories that I have of her, of, of me and her being together, that was very much very much the vibe of like all right i'm gonna teach you how to sort of survive in this world and uh it's not a, it's not that great of a place and you have like you'll have a small number of people that you can count on and that will care about you and those people are important and everybody else can just fucking fuck off <laughs> nice. and uh and that's just how we sort of grew up together I, yeah. I miss her a great deal i wish i could see her now i wish i could tell her that all of this stuff happened she passed away before any of it did uh. um it would be cool to to like find out what she means. Oh, let me tell you this crazy thing. Here, <laughs> let me tell you how how like how how I don't even know how to explain it. This was like a thing that happened to me. But I was on book tour, uh-huh. and I was in Detroit. I was uh, we were at a Barnes and Noble in Detroit, and this is where my grandmother was from. My uh-huh. grandmother and my mother came down from, from Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, all right. and uh, and all of her sons, like a family of seven, they just came down. They just left the dad up there because he was wilding out. And they're like, "Fuck this, we're out of here." <laughs> yeah. And so she left her family and came down to San Antonio. And she has uh, like a cousin who is, she's like, like the last remaining person of that generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, her name is Sandy. And Aunt Sandy showed up at the book signing. And I'm sitting there asking, we're doing like a Q&A. And I see one of my cousins. And then I see a woman sitting next to her who I'm assuming is Aunt Sandy. I've never met Aunt Sandy before. And, but she looks exactly like my grandma. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's my grandma right there. This is this is crazy. And uh, <clears throat> we finish the questions. Everybody sort of lines up, and I'm, I'm signing books. And then I look up, and they're standing right there. And this is the first time in, in a decade that I've been around anybody 
who is as old as my grandma was. She wasn't old when she passed at all. She was like late sixties, early seventies. Sure, sure. um, but we didn't. That was like the end of the grandparents on the in the family. But I see Sandy, and she comes waddling up, and she looks exactly like my grandma, and she has the same exact face, and she smells like her, and she opens her mouth to talk, and she sounds exactly like wow. she sounds like a hundred percent. I couldn't believe it. And she said the word motherfucker, and she was like. <laughs> Talking about the people in line. Oh, yeah. she said fucking. She's like, they had like 10 books. And she's like, we paid for 10, for fucking 10 books. They can wait because I was signing them all. Yeah. And when she said that, and when I, it was like a combination of seeing her and like her eyes just looked the same and hearing her voice and, and smelling her. And I was like on the verge of tears suddenly in the in this Barnes and Noble. And I just was like, I asked, can I hug her? I've never met her before. I've been like, can I give you a hug? And I gave her a hug and I was trying Aww. so hard not to cry and because there's still a fucking 150 people in line i'm like this is gonna be a rough night tonight and then yeah we le- we left and she went out and they got in the car everybody did their signing and i walked out and they're there waiting for me and and uh it's uh, she's in the front seat and they're like hey do you want to go to dinner and i was like absolutely i want to go to dinner and i said um i have a driver here but he's gonna go can you just drop me off and they're like yeah and then I said, I, I'm like 30 minutes away. And Sandy was like, oh, no, never mind. And you're not, we're not going to take you. <laughs> she was just like, no, fuck that. And then they just <laughs> left. And I was like, that's a, that's my that's a grandma move right there. But that was the closest I got to, like, my grandma seeing any of this stuff. And it just was like, oh, man, it was crazy, dude. It was fucking nuts. Uh, that story is so much better than mine. I don't even want to tell it. <laughs> what? Even... Give, give it to me. Well, my grandmother... Um, it, came from Mexico when she was young and the biggest thing was education with everybody mm-hmm. and all of her kids and all of her grandkids have um, gotten advanced degrees okay except for me I went to law school for one year and dropped out <laughs> <laughs> but like so I got her that year I was there for Christmas you know your Christmas like your first Christmas at a college <laughs> is the best because you, you just get everybody a sweatshirt from the college and yeah you're done so I got her a UC Davis King Hall School of Law sweatshirt <laughs> And I swear to you, she trolled me with that till the day she had a stroke and was like, you know, barely mobile and would wear the King Hall School of Law sweatshirt just to like let me know. And and I'd hear from I'd hear from relatives like, oh, I heard you're going back to school. I'm like, I'm not going back. Like I got to the Chronicle. I got to the Chronicle is like the local paper. And I'm still hearing from relatives. Oh, your grandmother tells me you're going to go back to school. But I realize now I got kids now and. You know, I'm really stressed about their grades and what they're going to do. And I realize, like, she came here, like, she did not, she ate the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. Her, her entertainment was to go fishing, trout fishing at the local lake in San Francisco. And, like, because it was cheap. And then you got food from it. Like, everything she did was to sacrifice. And I realize now, I wish I had, like, it kind of maybe, I don't know if it bugged me. I loved her, so nothing she did bugged me. But I think about it now that, like, that's symbolic of like what she gave and uh yeah it took me having kids to realize like she was just like trying to push me and you know she had given up a lot so yeah you don't you don't realize any of the stuff that any of your parents are doing or grandparents are doing until you you're you find yourself doing the same thing yeah for your kids i remember i had a conversation with my dad like after we had the twins and they got to be four or five years old and I was realizing all of the stuff that he did so that we could just be alive and be safe. Yeah. And uh, I had to call him up and like, I just, I need to apologize to you, dad, for all the times I was just a total asshole about this or about that because now I understand now the stuff that you're doing and yeah. 
the kids change you. I can't wait to be underappreciated by my own kids, and then, <laughs> I, and then I die, and then they regret it. That's like that's my biggest wish. Let's end on that. that that's like ending <laughs> a ending a. It's like how it's like how sitcoms end. You know, like the like the kind of blackish Goldbergs, <laughs> yeah. where it's like funny. But then there's a life lesson. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for coming to the Chronicle. Yeah, I'm very sure. stoked that uh, we were your your uh, your first time in San Francisco. And congratulations on the book. It's awesome. I can't wait to see what you do next. Um, thank I got you. all of them. And uh, super, super fun. Great stuff. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guest, Shea Serrano. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.